welcome back to the wrestling room. I have a message today, a teaching that has challenged me and pushed me uh, to the wall with my study and uh, my preparation. And I think it's a vital, vital message for the body of Christ and for believers today. And so do not watch this casually is my plea to you. Ask God before you even begin to watch and before I dive in to open your heart to what I'm going to share. It's so vital in the day and age that we're, that we're living in. So I'm going to pray and then share with you some personal experiences and then dissect uh, basically one verse today and um, then we're going to be done. So Father, give us wisdom. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are teachable, oh God. I pray that these words might help build your kingdom, help build the hearts and minds of brothers and sisters listening. I pray that this word will minister deeply and challenge deeply your church. I pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. At age four, I gave my heart to Jesus. I made it through high school loving and serving Jesus, not without bumps and lumps, but um, I was devoted and committed to him. I loved him. I went to university hoping to be a U.S. senator from the state of Oregon, desiring to change the world. So I was a poli-sci major, but in an all-night prayer meeting, my second year of university, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart quietly but clearly and redirected me into ministry, something that I had sworn I would never do. But my whole life's trajectory changed that night. And I left university, went to three years of Bible college up in Canada, and graduated with a bachelor's degree in religious education, knowing that God had called me into ministry. My last week in college, I was recruited by the founder of Operation Mobilization, George Verwer, to travel with him for a year and then spend another year in Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal. And so I knew I was in for a big year that I would be tested and challenged and pushed and my heart was hungry and I was desperate for, the, for, for God to strengthen me and prepare me for this work. And so there were two conferences that were preparatory to the work. One was in Nuremberg, Germany, and there a very powerful experience happened. It was during a, a session with 6,000 recruits that were going to be going into Europe and doing evangelism and sharing the story of Jesus all over Europe. The worship team was playing. It was a dynamic time. And just to my left, I was standing in the very back of the audience, kind of in the shadows, desiring to enter in as much as I could into worship. I had never fully been released in worship. But there was a little brother from Africa who was just to my left. He was all of five foot nothing. And he was jumping up and down. His hands were raised. His eyes were closed. He was fully engaged in worshiping Jesus. And I watched him. And he, his example and, and his heart being poured out to the Lord so challenged me that before I knew it, for the first time in my life, my hands exploded heavenward. And it was like there were ropes or, 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 or chains that were broken off of me. And as my arms went up, my heart came open and something broke loose inside of me. And for the rest of that conference, I had a freedom in worship that I had never had. 
So that was the first experience. Then I traveled to Dubron, Holland for a smaller conference for the longer term teams that were forming and going to be sent out to all the countries of the world. And the night before that conference was was to start, all of the country leaders were meeting in the main chapel and they were just finishing up. And I had sensed uh, the need to go and walk and pray and prepare my heart for the conference that would start the next morning. So I was walking past that chapel and the leadership team was singing a, a, a worship chorus and I heard them singing and it was this simple chorus, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And the words and the, and the, the music and the melody of that song embedded themselves in my heart and my mind. And as I walked out into the, the countryside of Debron, Holland, I began to sing that song to the Lord as a prayer and as a plea, over and over, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And brothers and sisters, he answered that prayer. And out there on the country roads, amongst the farmland of Debron, Holland, God's Holy Spirit came on me in a way that he never had. I was immersed. I was submerged in the Holy Spirit. And I began to pray and I began to worship and I began to intercede and I began to even preach to the cattle out in the fields in with a freedom and a power and an authority that I had never had. And it was about 7.30 at night when that happened and it went on for four hours and at 11.30 at night it was pitch black out there and I, I was almost hoarse from all the praying, all the worshiping. It was such a beautiful thing. And I made my way back to my dorm and into the room and all the other guys were asleep and not into my bed and I was able to fall asleep. But early the next morning, I was awake and the presence of God, the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was continuing. And I got out of bed and I was so full. I felt like I was going to explode. I didn't know what to do. This had never happened before. And I thought I didn't realize it would continue uh, to the next morning. So I put on my running shoes and a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and I headed out into the countryside again and just found a road and started running, praying, worshiping, continuing from the night before. And that road took me right through a piece of property and into a barnyard. And as I was running through this barnyard, the biggest German shepherd that I've ever seen in my life came bolting out from behind the main house and cornered me right there in the barnyard, stopped me in my tracks. He had fangs that looked like a bear trap. He was vicious, ferocious, and, he, and, and I was in his territory. And so he was there poised, his fangs bared, barking, and I froze knowing if I moved, my legs were hamburger. So I was waiting, not daring to move, waiting for somebody to come out and call him off. <laughs> and I just tell him, listen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to trespass. I just was following the road and it led me through your barnyard. Well, one minute became two minutes and three minutes and four minutes and nobody came. And the dog continued barking ferociously and I was frozen in place. And anger and fear turned into irritation. 
And I'm thinking, what is going on here? So why, I don't know, but I took my finger and I pointed at that dog and I said to that vicious German shepherd dog, I said to him, do you know Jesus? <laughs> why, I have no idea why I said that. But I pointed and I said, do you know Jesus? And the moment I said that, the barking stopped, that dog wheeled and sprinted back behind the house without another sound. Well, I was flabbergasted. I thought, what in the world just happened? And I stood there for a few more minutes trying to take it all in, trying to process what had just happened. And eventually I just started laughing. It was, it was funny. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. And I just started laughing and I turned and I ran back and found my way back to the conference center. And when I ran back into the conference center, that heavy presence of the Holy Spirit lifted. But my life was changed forever. I would never be the same again. That experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed everything for me. And it was right on time, and God knew it was right on time, because those two years would be fraught with danger, with challenges, with deep depression, with all sorts of things. I would need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to make it through. I would be put in, uh, I would be arrested in Nepal. We were, st we were stoned by radical Hindus, and the windows broken out of our vehicles in northern India. I sat with Buddhist priests in Sri Lanka. There were all sorts of challenges, but we saw God radically, radically move and come through over and over and over, time and again. God's manifest presence, his manifest power, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about how Jesus spent 40 days in this intensive boot camp, preparing the disciples' hearts and minds, clarifying who he was, clarifying his mission. And they were clear. They were fired up and they were ready to charge hell with a bucket of water. But Jesus pumped the brakes and he said, hold on, fellas. Hold up, ladies. You're not ready yet. <laughs> You're not ready yet. I love the fact that you're, you're ready, you're clear in your minds, and that your heart is zealous for me, but there's something that more that you need. Hold up. And so I want you to turn to Luke 24, 49, because this is what Jesus said to his disciples, and it's what we're going to dissect today. They are ready. They are ready. They feel like Jesus just let us out of the chutes, just... Just let us out of the blocks and let us run. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not ready. And in Luke 24, 49, he says this, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, Jesus says, it says, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the, the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse 8, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. Now, what does this tell us? Here's what it tells us. Correct theology is essential. 
We have so many churches that are deviating from the truth. They're diluting the person of Jesus. They're twisting the scriptures for their own means. And it is hellish. And there's so much confusion and so much false doctrine. So correct theology, correct doctrine, correct exegesis of the scripture is vital. And spiritual passion is desperately needed. Someone once said it's so much easier to calm down a fanatic than it is to warm up a corpse. Give me two people, one who's dead spiritually and one who's overzealous. I'll take the overzealous every time. I can get him balanced out. It's hard to, to warm up a corpse. But spiritual zeal isn't enough. Correct doctrine isn't enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need power. Power is non-negotiable if we're going to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And if those disciples had charged out with their knowledge and their zeal and tried to start this new church, they would have been slaughtered. They would have been destroyed. They would have been hauled off the field of play on a stretcher very quickly. In the last message, uh, last week's message, we learned that the Holy Spirit starts by being with us, convicting us, us of our need for Jesus. He influences us, the Spirit of God does. And then Jesus breathed on the disciples and the Spirit entered them. He was in them. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he's converting and constructing, constructing a heart that is like Jesus. But there's a third experience, and that is what Jesus is talking about here. He said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, with you, in you, upon you. That's the immersion with the Holy Spirit. Three very distinct experiences for the, in the life of every believer. But the sad thing is, most believers only have the first two. They have the first two. They never are baptized with the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't wait. Maybe they don't know. Maybe it's an education issue. They just are ignorant. But that is why the church is so impotent and is, is largely irrelevant today. Jesus said if salt has lost its saltiness, its power, it's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot. And the church and believers are being trampled. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says you wait until you're clothed with power. So let's break this down. And I want to answer the question very simply, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, number one, it is a good gift from heaven. It's a good gift from heaven. Jesus said, I will send forth the promise of the Father. I will send forth the promise of the Father, Luke 24, 49. In John 14, 16, and 17, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. So, friends, the Holy Spirit is a gift from heaven. And James 1, 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from heaven, coming down from the Father of lights. All good things come down, and the Holy Spirit was going to be sent as a gift, a good and a perfect gift to every believer. 
Now, what do the words good and perfect mean? Well, good means one whose nature and constitution is pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, excellent, upright, distinguished, and honorable. Who wouldn't want that? Perfect means lacking nothing, complete, mature, full-grown. Listen, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then when we are filled daily with the Holy Spirit, which we are commanded to be in Scripture, it grows us up. It matures us spiritually. The reason we stay children and babies in the faith is that we are not filled, baptized with and then filled with the Holy Spirit. It's The Holy Spirit is a good gift from God. Now, so many people have a negative view of the Holy Spirit because this teaching about the Holy Spirit has been so abused. And as a result, they shy away from even talking about or teaching about the Holy Spirit. I said last week, the church I grew up in, very little was ever said about the Holy Spirit. It's a reactive stance, reacting to extremes versus responding to the Word of God. Because what has happened is the, the, the enemy, in, an, in a diabolical tactic, has twisted and perverted this, this teaching and this concept of uh, this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he's made it out to be a freak show. An absolute freak show. Because he knows if, if believers like you, believers like me, are baptized in the Holy Spirit, he is cooked. He's got nothing. In Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out on a short-term mission. And he gives them power for a period of time. And they come back from that mission. And then it says, in verse 17 of Luke 10, it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They had an amazing outreach. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. And what did Jesus say? He said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. Listen, if I'm the devil, I want to screw that up. I want to mess that up. I want to pollute that. I want to twist that. I don't want anybody involved with that because I'm toast. So what he's done is he's brought extremism and weirdness into this whole beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, my heart, my plea for you is this. Don't buy into the, to the, to the garbage of the enemy. Don't be reactive. Be proactive and responsive to what the Word of God says about the Holy Spirit. And what I want to share with you today is just simple, simple things from Scripture about this baptism that you can take to the bank. You can bank on. So number one is... And this is foundational that the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is a gift from heaven. It's a gift from the Father. So that's number one. Number two, it was a transfer of power. It was a transfer of power. Second, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, The kingdom of God isn't just a lot of words. It is power. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we live or walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Brothers and sisters, 
I don't even need to say this, but we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war. And in all my years, I've never seen anything like it. The, the forces of hell are being unleashed. The enemy knows his time is short. The church of Jesus is under attack. Truth is under attack. What is right is under attack. We are in a war, and if you don't realize that, you need to pick yourself up out of the dirt, dust yourself off, and wake up. We are in a war. We are in a war. And Jesus says you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that. It means ability. It means force. It means the capability to effect change. <laughs> just like dynamite. But it's not just a one-time boom. It's dynamic power. It's not just dynamite power. Boom. It's dynamic, which means it's boom, 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 boom. It's over and over, repeated, over and over, continuous and productive activity and ability. That is what Jesus commanded us to wait until we obtained. And Jesus was 30 years old when he emerged from his carpenter shop in Nazareth and made his way to the Jordan River to John the Baptist. Some call those 30 years the hidden years. We don't know exactly what he did during those quiet years in Nazareth, but we do know this. He didn't perform any miracles. Until that day in the Jordan when the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove baptized him with power. And Jesus' ministry changed instantly. It was like he was shot out of a cannon. Power characterized everything that he did. Yes, he was gentle. He was humble. He washed feet. He played with children. He was everything a man would want to be, but his whole life was character characterized by power. Power over nature. Power over food. Power over disease. Power over Demons. I mean, at fully 25% of all Jesus' ministry was power encounters with demons where he's calling them out and then throwing them out. And authority and power in his conversations with the religious leaders. The people were in awe of Jesus' power. They said, nobody has ever taught like this. Nobody's ever done things like this. Power characterized the ministry of Jesus. And then Jesus, as he ascended back into heaven, said, you just like I have, are to wait until you, like I was, are baptized with power from on high. In other words, I was powered by the Holy Spirit. All of my ministry was powered by the Holy Spirit. The scripture says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit without measure. He was a gusher. <laughs> and then he said to this, the disciples, you are to wait until you are filled with power from on high. And in John chapter 7, he said that, out of your innermost being will gush, gush rivers of living water. And it says this, he spoke of the Holy Spirit who hadn't been given yet. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a transfer of dynamite from heaven, dynamite from heaven. And Jesus was our example for that. He said, you're not going to minister any different than I am. Your ministry is to be a continuation of what I did. But number three, 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit is power from on high. It's otherworldly power. I love the story of D.L. Moody, the evangelist, who is described as the overweight evangelist who reduced the population of hell by one million souls. How would you like to, to be known for that? Reducing the population of hell by one million souls. He had the largest church in Chicago. People would pack in to hear him teach. But he admitted in, in later writings, later in his life, that most of it was due to his own hustle. He was a good marketer. He could move people with the power of his personality. Well, it's so interesting that as he was preaching, he began to notice two little humble women, Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow, sitting on the front seat of the front bench of the church every time the doors were open. They were down on the front bench and they would be praying throughout the whole service. So finally, out of curiosity, he asked them, what are you praying for? He said, I'm, we're praying for you. He said, praying for me? Why aren't you praying for the lost? Why aren't you praying for the unsaved? And he says, because you need the power of the Holy Spirit, these two humble ladies told him. Well, he was irritated by that. And week after week, he would keep preaching, and down on the front row were these two ladies praying for him. And finally, he called them into his office and said, all right, I've got to know what this power for service is. What are you talking about? I thought I had it, but tell me about what you're seeing. And so they educated him and taught him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then they all prayed together and the two ladies left his office. And I want to read to you what happened. This is out of the book, uh, The Helper by Catherine Marshall. She writes this. From that hour, and this is, these are Moody's words, there came a great hunger in my soul. Moody would say later, I really felt that I did not want to live if, if, if I could not have this power for service. One autumn day in 1871, Dwight L. Moody was in New York on his way to England, walking up Wall Street, and suddenly, in the midst of the bustling crowds, his prayer was answered. The power of God fell on him so overwhelmingly that he knew he must get off the street. Spotting a house he recognized, Moody knocked on the door and asked if he might have a room by himself for a few hours. Alone there, such joy came upon him that, quote, at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand, lest he die on the spot from very joy. From that hour, Moody's ministry was never the same. He went to England for what was to be the first of many evangelistic campaigns there. People thronged to North London to hear him. The sermons were not different, Moody summarized. I didn't present any new truths, and yet hundreds of people were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all of the world. Moody, in his early years, was a hustler. He was charismatic. He was energetic. He was persuasive. He was enthusiastic. But it was the power of his flesh. And those two sweet, humble women had the discernment to see it and prayed for him. And Moody developed a hunger to have the power of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when the baptism came, it changed everything for Moody. Because brothers and sisters, it's power, but it's power from on high. You can't manufacture it. You can't conjure it up. You can't whip it up. It is 
power from heaven, dynamite from heaven. But number four, this power would be like clothing, it would be like clothing. Jesus said, you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Clothed, uh, that's intriguing to me. Clothed with power from on high. When the Spirit of God came into the disciples, when Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20, verse 22, at that moment they were robed, they were clothed in the purity, the righteousness of Jesus. But now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a second ensemble of clothing, power from on high. Now, I was searching to, to try to figure out what does this look like? Because when there are spiritual truths that I can't get my hands or my head around, so to speak, I look for illustrations. How do I illustrate this? And the best thing I could come up with was uh, our son Simon loves Marvel superheroes marvel movies and and if i'm not mistaken his favorite is iron man and it's it's fascinating to me how all these marvel superheroes they're very common but when they put on their uniform their transformation is supernatural they go from average strength and ability to supernatural ability so this week i watched a 12 minute youtube video entitled all of the iron man suit ups from 2008 to 2019 <laughs> watching Robert Downey Jr. as billionaire Tony Stark, I learned all this this week, transformed from a very smart and rich but yet very human and limited man to superhuman in just seconds as this fantastic Iron Man suit essentially swallowed him up. It was brilliant. Jesus said you are to remain in the city until you are clothed what does that word mean? It means to be arrayed in, to sink into, to enter, to put on. Essentially to be swallowed up in, just as we see Hollywood portraying Iron Man in such a brilliant way. That is essentially what Jesus was telling the disciples. You are not to go out to battle. You are forbidden to go out to battle until you are clothed for battle, until you are suited up with power. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is clothing us for battle. It's putting on our armor. It's putting on our Iron Man suit, so to speak. But number five, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be imperative. Imperative. In other words, no power, no movement. In Acts 1-4, Jesus commanded them. He didn't suggest, didn't give them kind of an alternative that if you want the more elite route, you wait for power. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. And in Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, you are to stay in the city until you are clothed, until you are suited up. That word stay literally means to stay seated, to remain planted, to refrain from moving, to settle down. <laughs> It's almost like a man commanding his dog to sit and stay. Don't move. And brothers and sisters, listen. We are living in a world that cannot, we cannot just do Christianity the way we have. Casually, almost, 
with very little thought, with very little care, almost just culturally, we cannot afford that anymore. If you are going to be a warrior for Jesus, you do not just roll out of bed, go downstairs to the, to the kitchen, grab something to eat, jump in your car and head to work. It will not work. Jesus says, you sit down, you stay seated until you are dressed for battle. When you're going to work, when you're going to that board meeting, when you're going to that training, when you're going to wherever it is, you're going into battle and you better be dressed. You better be suited up because if you're not, you're in disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, sit your tail down until you're clothed with power from on high. That power would be imperative for multiple reasons. Number one, because they, the new believers, and the same is true of us, would endure hardship, they would endure opposition, they would endure oppression, and ultimately persecution that for many of them would end in death. Friends, wake up. We're not far from that. And I'm just going to say to you as a brother in the Lord, I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to exhort you. If you aren't suited up, you will fail and fade in the time when it's time for you to step up in faith and stand for Jesus. You will wilt. You have to be clothed in power to be able to endure in the hard days. But you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to love in these hard days, to love the unlovable, to love the unlovely, to love those who hate you, who are in opposition to you. And that is becoming more and more true of this culture than it ever has. The divide is widening. The line is being drawn. Matthew 24, 12, the disciples are asking Jesus, what are the signs of the end times? And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 12, this is one of the signs. It says, because lawlessness is increased, the love of many will grow cold. That word love is agape love. That verse is speaking of believers, of people who have had a heart transformation because unbelievers cannot exhibit agape love. And what Jesus is saying is because of lawlessness in the end times, because right is now wrong and wrong is right, things are flipped upside down and justice is being, justice is being perverted and injustice is common, that the hearts of believers, the agape would shrivel Brothers and sisters, I'm battling that on a daily basis as I watch all the things taking place. It's so easy to allow my heart to shrivel up and to become angry and bitter and cynical. And Jesus said that would happen in the end times. But in Jude, go over to Jude chapter, uh, it's just one chapter, verses 20 and 24. Here's what Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's what he says to us today. If our hearts are tempted to squeeze out the agape love and absorb bitterness and anger and cynicism towards the world system. Here's what Jude says to us. He says in verse 20, But beloved you, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's the first thing that he says. You must build yourself up on your most holy faith. Listen, 
Every day, we've got to get in the spiritual weight room and we've got to pump spiritual iron. We have to build our spiritual lives every day. He says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Our faith has to be built. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. We have got to be devouring the scripture, filling ourselves with the scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us from the scripture. Because if you don't, your faith will fail in the day that it needs to stand strong. And then he goes on to say, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 of Jude. Brothers and sisters, there are so few believers, and I don't say this with anger or judgmentalism or criticism, but it's just the reality that do not know how to prevail in prayer. We say a quick prayer over a meal if we remember to do it. We say a quick prayer here and there, shotgun prayers once in a while while we're driving to work, whatever the case may be, but we don't know how to wrestle with God for the souls of people. We don't know how to get in the wrestling room with God and get sweaty and dirty and pray in any way that makes a difference. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying in such a way that he sweat blood. It takes the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to pray with any kind of prevailing power. Why do so few people pray? Because they don't know how to pray with the power and by the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And their prayers seem empty and void and frail and, and, and like nothing is getting done. When you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, friends, it's like a battering ram battering down the doors of hell. You walk out of that time, you're tired. You feel like you've been in a wrestling match, but you know that work got done. And, the, and Jude is saying to us, he says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Friends, we have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep our hearts open, filled with the love of God. There are days coming where the weapons of our warfare will not be guns. They will not be fighting. They will not be retaliation. It will be loving enemies. It will be turning the other cheek. It will be showing them a different way, showing them the way of Jesus. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but he chose the way of sacrifice and it takes the power of God the power of the Spirit to be able to do that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is imperative it's imperative if we're gonna have victory over our own sin the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life Paul said of his traveling comrade Demas who was on a missionary journey with him they were on a short-term mission and Paul says of demon Demas Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He was lured away by the fool's gold of the world, and he forsook. He left Paul because he loved the world. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to keep our heart pursuing Jesus when all these other foolish fantasies and foolish temptations are constantly calling at us. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It's imperative for the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to rescue our friends, our neighbors, our children, our spouse, our co-workers from the slavery of sin and hell, 
Satan has his hands clamped over their hearts. He's, he has claimed them for destruction. But we are called to release the slaves, to release the captives, to bring them into the light, into the love, into the kingdom of God, to compel them to come in. It takes supernatural power to do that because the scripture says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. They can't see Jesus. They can't see the good news in the gospel. They're blind. But the spirit of the living God, through the word of God, the testimony of believers, sacrifice can unblind eyes can re restore sight maybe for the first time for the first time but it takes the power of the holy spirit we can't do it in our own flesh we can't convince people we can't do some kind of a spiritual sales job it requires the holy spirit it's imperative the baptism of the holy spirit is imperative and number six the baptism of the holy spirit would mark and identify the new believers. It would stamp them. It would, it would tattoo them. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, baptism is about two things. Number one, it's immersion. Number two, it's identification. So let's take immersion first. Baptizo, the Greek word for baptism, means to immerse or to submerge. If you're asking right now, have I ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Here's my simple answer to you. If you have, you will absolutely know that you have. If you haven't, you will absolutely know that you haven't. When I went down into the icy cold waters of Lake Creek and was baptized in water at age 17 and my dad grabbed me and dunked me under, there was no mistaking it. I knew I was under that water and I knew when I came out. <laughs> Same will happen with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will be submerged. You will be immersed in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You will know. But number two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was identification. It would establish the identity of the new believers and of the new church. Let me, let me help you understand that. When they were submerged publicly in water, they were demonstrating. It was a play act. It was a stage act, so to speak. They were acting out the purifying work of Jesus on the cross and in his burial, declaring, we belong to Jesus. When we went down into that water, we were dead. We went down with all of our sin. We came out alive, purified, cleansed, belonging to Jesus. And the declaration is we belong to Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. We are free. It was also a public display where they were sinking their flag in the ground saying we are Jesus people. If you want to ask us who we are, if you want to know our identity, we're Jesus people. That's who we are. But when they were submerged in the person of the Holy Spirit, their lives began, became a walking demonstration of the prevailing, overcoming, supernatural work of Jesus in his resurrection. They were declaring like a bullhorn with their lives, the kingdom of Jesus is here. The power of Jesus is here now. It's not just coming later. It's here now. And 10 days later, Jesus had, had met with them for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. And 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day from the resurrection of Jesus, 
tongues of fire would rest upon the heads of 120 people who were obeying the command of Jesus to wait in Jerusalem. And when those tongues of fire rested on their heads and they were baptized in the presence, the power, and the personality of the Holy Spirit, history was turned on its head. Those 120 men and women were baptized with the power, the fire of the Holy Spirit. They would be identified distinctly by power and authority in their words, in their actions, in their lives, and even in their deaths. And brothers and sisters, the truth is, so will we. Jesus' command to the disciples 2,000 years ago is as relevant and as real and resounds as clearly to us as it did to them. Do not move until you're clothed with power from on high. You will be baptized with power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me. So let me review. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Number one, it is a good and a perfect gift given by the Father. Don't react to Satan's baloney. Respond to the word, to the word of Jesus. Number two, it is a transfer of power. It is dynamite from heaven. Number three, it is power from heaven. It is not manufactured. It's not concocted. It's not hustle. It's not personality. It is supernatural from heaven to us. Number four, it is like clothing. It wraps and envelops us. We are suited up in the power of Jesus by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. Number five, it is absolutely imperative. Next week, I'm going to teach on what it doesn't look like to be clothed with power on high. And the story I'm going to share is shocking. It's powerful. It will leave you thinking seriously about your own life. It, you will very much appreciate this story. But number six, it identifies us as representatives of the risen King Jesus and spokesmen and women of his heavenly kingdom. It identifies us. It stamps us. It becomes our identity. Our identity isn't what we do for a vocation. It isn't even our gender. Our identity is that we are representatives of Jesus. And as we demonstrate his power, the world sees the same power they saw in Jesus. I want to end with this one quote. It's by Samuel William Bringle, who is one of the early leaders of the Salvation Army, a group of men and women who were firebrands for God. They were persecuted, they were mocked, they were ridiculed, but they were used mightily for God. And Samuel William Bringle, this great humble man of faith, he asked this question. He says, what is fire? What is fire? What is love? It is faith, it is hope, it's passion, it's purpose, it's determination, it's utter devotion, it's divine discontentment with formality, with ceremony, with lukewarmness, with indifference, sham, noise, parade, and spiritual death. 
It is singleness of eye and consecration unto death. It is God, the Holy Spirit, burning in and through a humble, holy, faithful man or woman. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, it is imperative that we don't just have the peace of God, but that we have the power of God to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Father, I pray that this word will speak to us and penetrate our hearts. Lord, I pray that we will wrestle with this. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week. God bless your week. I'll see you next week. More great stuff from the scriptures here in the wrestling room. God bless you. Bye-bye.